Hey travelers. travelers. I'm Taylor. I'm Cassie. And this, this is, is going, going past, past the veil. The veil. Hi guys, so it is finally time. You are finally going to learn what the surprise is. Mm -hmm. We know you guys have been wondering. And the surprise is I found a local author who was writing a book about the hauntings and paranormal experiences that her and her sister have had since they were little kids. And when I say local, I mean, I'm pretty sure she only lives a few towns over. Like I could go see her if I wanted to. And I was so excited and I was reading the book and I met her through my sister's work. And then she was super excited to do like an interview with me and Taylor. And we did that. And let me tell you, that was so much fun. And I will, I will be posting that interview. So we're... (laughs) We're doing the reading first, which is we're going to read you a total of four chapters from the book that she wrote with her permission. Yes. Thank you, Pam. Thank you, Karen. And I'm just really excited because so far I have loved it. I just, you can feel her energy and her personality coming through the words. Mm -hmm. And I just, I can't wait to share this with you and share the interview with you. But if you're wondering... The book is called The Hauntings of Two Sisters, Shocking True Life Experiences by Pam Mandel and Karen Pina. Yes, and it is a really cute book, I think, from the outside. It's definitely something I would pick up if I were at a bookstore. So it's, but I, it's creepy, not gonna lie, it's creepy, but we can do it, guys. They have really cute pictures in there too, though. Like, um, there's a picture of doggies, and you know how I feel about pictures of doggies. And they have Santa hats on, (laughs) so... Yeah, they have pictures of pets and family themselves, their parents. But my favorite thing is they have artist renditions of what they see, like Mm -hmm. the spirits. And one of my stories is actually going to have something that I had never actually heard of before. And Mm -hmm. I'll describe the picture as best I can. But oof, it's 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 creepy crawly. Yeah, is it is it what they were talking about in the in the interview where she wants to know if our listeners have ever seen something like that? Oh, um sort of. So they wanted to know if any of our listeners had ever seen demon pets like or ghost Well, yeah, more demon pet than ghost pet. So everyone knows like demon dogs and like hellhounds and stuff like that. That's very common. But have you ever seen anything else? Something not, that's not like the typical pet, something that's much different. Right. And we can definitely get more into that on the interview because they do such a great job of explaining everything. But I was just wondering if that's what your story was about. But yeah, and then another thing that I wanted to point out in the book too that I thought was really cool. Well, one, I think it's always cool when you can find local art or authors. I think that's amazing and you should always support local. And, you know, I, I just think that's awesome. But the second thing that I really liked about this book was that it was super cute because to to go to different chapters, it's tombstones. and. Yeah. I was like, that is a really neat little touch there. I really like it. And it makes me not so scared until I start reading. And then I get a little scared. But it's okay. <laughs> but yeah. So I guess, are you ready? Who, who's going to go first? 
I am ready, and I can go first if you want. Let's do it. So my first of the two stories is going to be chapter four, There's No Place Like Home. Be it ever forgotten, there's no place like home. I was awakened abruptly by a sound from somewhere in the house. It was one of those sounds you could not put your finger on, but it was enough to wake you up out of a sound sleep. I glanced at the clock on my nightstand, which said 3.05 a.m. For a brief moment, I just lay there quietly in the dark. I might have even held my breath, still as a mummy. I listened intently for the noise that had given me such a strangely odd feeling. My first thought was someone was trying to break into the house downstairs. But our dogs did not make a sound or react in any way. I looked up into the dark in front of me. We kept our bedroom pitch black without so much as a nightlight to offset the darkness. Again, I knew something wasn't right. The negative knot in my stomach was increasing. I sat up ramrod straight on the end of the bed and placed my feet solidly on the floor. Suddenly, there was a flash of movement, of something darker than dark, taking two steps back. It was at that point that I realized it had been only 15 inches or so from my face. As it stood there looking down on me, I had the opportunity to get a good look at it. There stood this over six foot tall, solid, slender Spider-Man figure with the longest arms and fingers I'd ever seen. And to make this stranger than strange creature look even worse, it was holding its arms straight down, directly by its side, flexing its long, creepy fingers. I was horror-struck. The panic that overcame me literally took my breath away and paralyzed my entire body. It took a few moments for me to gain my composure. I immediately took a deep breath so I would not black out with this creature standing directly in front of me. It just stood there, looking straight at me. I then let out a scream that was sufficiently horrifying to jolt my soundly sleeping husband into a sitting position with a look of astonishment on his face that I will never, ever forget. The Spider-Man immediately vanished, disappearing in a flash. I could barely get the words out of my mouth to describe to my husband what had just occurred. What the hell was that? I had never seen anything like that before. I believe I had just seen my first demon. To make matters worse, I had an overwhelming urge to pee right then and there. There was no way I was going by myself. My husband had to escort me. Let's click the reset button and start from the beginning. Let's just say weird, spooky, and inexplicable events that led up to this terrifying night. Nine months earlier is when we started to notice things. At first... These incidents weren't alarming and were far and few between. With our busy lifestyle, we didn't give these occurrences much thought, chalking them up instead to the wind, the dogs, the house settling on its foundation. We considered all these things, but the one thing we never, ever considered was that there was something supernatural about them. My husband and I both worked outside the home, and I was always the first to return home from work, and then it began. I started to feel a strange and uneasing feeling as soon as I opened the front door and turned the lights on. At first, it didn't happen every day, just occasionally, but then it started to escalate. I began to pay more attention, and I mean a lot more attention, to this feeling. Chocolating up to the wind, dogs, or just the house settling no longer made sense. I just knew beyond a doubt 
that there was an energy in the house hiding somewhere. The first time I felt it, I let our dogs in and watched them very carefully to see if they were guided by the celebrated doggy ESP to a particular place in the house. It was business as usual for them, however. The only object of their attention, as always, was Mommy, who was greeted with the usual burst of excitement reserved for parental homecomings. At that point, I decided to roll up my sleeves and get to work on cracking this case, initiating a daily routine of inspecting every room and closet and even the showers to check for the intruder that I just knew was there. The results of the surveillance were always negative, and I just chalked it all up to my imagination. My husband, knowing what an investigation discovery channel junkie I was, guilty as charged, your honor, suggested that I might just be watching the channel a wee bit too much. A few months later, we went to Hawaii on a planned vacation and left our friend's son in charge of watching our house. On the second night away, we received a frantic call from him telling us that he felt someone's presence in the house. We told him to do an inspection tour while we stayed on the phone with him. Searching every nook and cranny, he found nothing or no one. That still did not satisfy him. And his fear continued to grow along with his conviction that someone or something was keeping him company. Concerned about his emotional state, we called a friend and asked him to go over to check things out and spend some time with him until he felt comfortable again. It apparently worked, and there were no further distress calls from him while we were away on vacation. It was, however, by no means over. When we returned back from our vacation, this feeling of someone being in the house began to happen on a daily basis. There were times I would call a family friend who only lived about a mile away He was always happy to come over and check the house out for me on those days when this feeling got the best of me. Sometimes when I got home, I would sit in my car in the driveway for a while, afraid to go inside because I just knew that that bad feeling was going to be there. That bad feeling was so strong, it was unbelievable. I would look around the neighborhood and wonder if anyone else had ever experienced this, and if not, why was it happening to us? Why couldn't I just be normal and just get out of my car and walk in the house without feeling or sensing evil? I thought this bad feeling had to be something evil because it was not at all a good feeling. After requesting his help several times, I began to suspect that my friend might think that I needed either to be on meds or see a therapist, or better yet, both. Perhaps because he could so easily see the look of terror on my face, however, he was always very kind about it. And if he had had any reservations about my mental state, he chose to keep them to himself. And then things really started to escalate. With shadows in our peripheral vision, figures in the dark, footsteps, noises, knocking sounds, doors slamming, and that constant feeling that someone was watching us. My husband would tell me he saw a tall shadow out of the corner of his eye. A few days later, I started to see the shadow. I saw it mostly coming down the staircase. It was always out of the corner of our eye, and that led us to question ourselves. Did we really see it, or was it just the lighting playing tricks on our vision? Maybe, in fact, it was just my imagination succumbing to fear and fatigue. One thing that was beyond a reasonable doubt in any case was this whole thing was getting weirder and creepier by the minute. I hated being home. The home we spent so much time remodeling and making just the way we wanted terrified me. Several times, the feeling was so strong that I asked my husband to call in sick and stay home with me. 
One night, my husband was upstairs and I was downstairs when, at the exact same moment, we heard each other's name called. He came downstairs as I headed up, both of us asking the other what they wanted. Incidents like this, things that just could not be rationally explained, were happening more frequently. All I could think about was what was going to happen next. My husband, on the other hand, was making a lot of excuses and didn't seem at all to be taking it seriously as I was. At least that is what I thought. Until one night when we went to bed, I noticed my husband's rosary beads hanging on the bedpost on his side, and I knew right then and there that he believed more than he was admitting to. Then one morning, our overnight guest came down for breakfast, told me about the unbelievable creepy thing that happened to him during the night. While lying in bed, treated to a rear view of a big black dog walking around his bed. At first, he thought it was our dog, our beloved dark gray old English sheepdog. The thing of it was, how had he gotten through the closed door? The next thing he knew was that this thing, this almost dog thing, was on the bed and paw imprints started making their way up the blanket towards his head. Paralyzed by fear, he just lay there, waiting to see what was going to happen next. Once it reached him, however, it disappeared into thin air. After hearing about this, I was now sure, as sure as I needed to be, that we had something in our home, something that was obviously not a good thing. I believe in my heart our guests just might have seen a hellhound, like the kind you hear about, the kind you might read about in books or see in movies. But to think they could be real, oh my god. The mood in our home began to change, as did the nitty-gritty of daily life. It seemed that there were more and more arguments, and simple disagreements often intensified into dramatic fights. There was a depressed feeling throughout our home. Emotions were on high alert, and in the meantime, something had, at least temporarily, canceled the love, laughter, and happiness that had been in our lives. During the next several months, I would see huge insects, black in color, half a dozen at a time, resembling grasshoppers with four legs, and ranging from around one to two feet long, walking up the walls and across the ceiling of our bedroom. I tended to believe it was my imagination, a reflection, or my eyes playing tricks on me. The one thing I never thought, or at least never dared to think, was that I was actually really seeing them. This was just terrifying, if not more than Spider-Man, because I hate bugs. One night, I actually felt the sensation of being held down in my bed and choked so hard that I couldn't breathe. Terrified, terrified by the feeling of not being able to get loose, I went into a full-size panic. Was someone trying to kill me? What on earth was going on? We started hearing knocks on our bedroom doors and even on our bedposts. Heading to a room and having the door slam right in our face just before we entered fast became a familiar experience. This was so bad that our housekeeper, who had been with us for over three years, suddenly quit. In her phone message, she said that we needed our home blessed because there was something really bad in it. Finally, after all the shock and horror, the climax came in form of a shadow man standing right over me one night until my bolting upright from prone position caused him to take two steps back and vanish. That is when we decided to have our home blessed by clergymen. Firmly convinced that a truckload of good prayers and an ocean of holy water were just what we needed at that point. Things finally did calm down a little after we had our home blessed. 
Eventually, these incidents were actually far, few and far between. Considering what we'd gone through, it would be understandable if you thought that this might be a good time to break out the champagne and do a few victory laps. But that was hardly the case. Sadly enough, I never felt quite the same about our home and continued to harbor a bad taste in my mouth that just would not go away. The matter of the fact is that I never felt again safe there and never again wanted to be alone in that house. To make it worse, whatever it was that has shaken up our lives so thoroughly hadn't quite said aloha yet, never abandoning us, unfortunately, for long periods of time and checking in with us every so often. We had gone years and years with not one unpleasant experience in the house, and all of a sudden, something so creepy and unbelievable starts out of nowhere. I could never get over what had happened. I could never feel safe there again. I could never be alone in the house. And the biggest thing, I could never sleep in the dark again. Always having to have a nightlight right by my bedside, eventually we sold our home and moved far away, never to return. What caused the energy in the house to change suddenly after three years of peace and normalcy? It wasn't until 16 years later, when deja vu occurred, that we made the connection. A friend's friend who had stayed with us during that time, unbeknownst to us, had a dark side dabbling into witchcraft. There is no doubt in my mind that the two occurrences were connected. That's a big nope for me. Like, the, <laughs> as soon as you're talking about the the creature hanging over the bed, I was like, nope, nope. Oh, I know. The biggest thing that got me, honestly, was the uh, demon crickets. Yeah, you know what's funny is my dog Duke is terrified of crickets, and I mean, <laughs> he hates crickets. And for some somehow, some way, one kept getting inside the house, and so Duke would just start barking like in the middle of the night, just like. Huh? It wasn't even like a, it was a, like he knew it was there. I know, I know. So the crickets thing, I totally get, but it's weird because the other night, like I woke up in the middle of the night and everybody's in my room sleeping, of course, because I have no privacy from my children or my husband, but you know, I guess I don't get privacy from the husband. Anyway, I, uh, we like woke up and it was like 219 and I remember just having this really, really weird feeling. Like, I was really legit scared, and I was, like, almost going to wake up Tony and stuff like that. But I was like, no, Dar- Duke will tell me if something's wrong. He'll he'll bark, right? Because he barks at a cricket. He'll bark if something else is wrong, right? <laughs> so, yeah. That's a big nope from the thing hanging over the bed. Mm-mm. Yep. Can't do that. Won't do that. That is scary. <laughs> I guess it's my turn, and it's really funny because you are Chapter 4. I am actually Chapter 5. Oh. A graveyard. Yeah, a graveyard too close for comfort. This is by Pam. This happened in 2008. Have you ever thought of what it would be like to live next door to a graveyard? Truth be told, I can't even remember the moment at which my brain threatened to shut down after hearing a friend ask for the umpteenth time if we'd ever seen or heard a ghost. The other comment on the chart was, doesn't living near a graveyard creep you out? And then, drumroll please, just to lighten the mood a bit, the wittiest of them would chime in something like, at least your neighbors are quiet with the exception of an occasional grave digger. My husband and I had moved from the Bay Area to Las Vegas to help care for my elderly parents after my father was given only a short time to live. That way we would have more time to spend with him while being clo- while also being closer to our family. After a few years, dad passed and we decided to move back to where I had lived my entire life, the San Francisco Bay Area. 
Since we wanted to take our time finding a home to purchase, we decided to rent a place for a year or two until we found something that met our requirements. What we did need was a landlord or landlady who loved animals and would accept our furry menagerie. Not an easy task when you have three dogs. Finally, after hours spent searching online, Eureka! There it was, the perfect two-story, 3,000-square-foot home with four bedrooms, three baths, and a backyard for the dogs to run and play in. The clincher for us consisted of just two words that were included in the ad, pet friendly. We immediately wondered, however, if that meant only one dog, would they consider more? Not wanting to miss out on what might be a really good opportunity, I emailed the contact person. A very nice young lady immediately responded to my email with a phone call. She assured us that she had no problem with our having three dogs, even going so far as to say that they too loved animals and agreed that this would be the perfect home for us. Then she added, we live right across the street from a cemetery. Is that okay with you? My reply, yes, I do sarcasm. As long as they're all dead, we're good with it. We then signed the lease, a sight unseen, and got ready for our move back to the area where I was born and raised. From our new home, you could see the cemetery from just about every window. The house was situated, in fact, just across the street from the entrance. One day, I was sitting on my porch looking at it when I realized that my ex-husband's families were all buried there. A creepy thought, you may well say, but for some strange reason, I actually felt somewhat comforted by it. The graveyard was definitely not a small churchyard with only a few headstones. On the contrary, it was massive, and in fact, proved to be a bit annoying because of the many funerals that took place there. Funeral equals lots of cars, equals lots of mourners lining the streets blocking traffic several times a week. Granted, otherwise, at least most of the time, the cemetery was very quiet, offering up just an occasional sound or two unless you were actually trapezing through it after dark. You would think that people buried in the cemetery would not care if you had a party or leave your garbage cans out an extra day after garbage pickup. Really, though, why would they? But let me tell you, there's a big difference between visiting a cemetery and living right next to one. Sure, they're all dead. That's why they're there, right? That's what we thought, too, at first. Soon after we got settled in, I started to hear footsteps during the night, accompanied by the sound of someone whispering. And I'm going to pause real quick right there. That is like my worst fear is somebody whispering because I'm not going to be able to hear what they say because I don't have very good hearing. Mm -hmm. So if I have a ghost that's around my house just whispering, it's going to piss me off. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not even joking. I'm going to be so pissed. I'm gonna be like, can you can you speak up? Speak up if you're going to scare me. OK, sorry. <laughs> this was soon followed by the sight of a hat wearing shadow man peeking around corners and occasionally passing right by me. By the way, all this happened right after my dad passed and my mom would come and visit Come and stay with us for weeks at a time. Several times I would hear her say out loud, Pam, is that you? It was not, and no one else was in the house but the two of us. On another occasion, I was sitting on the couch reading a book, television off, and I could see the reflection in the TV screen of someone walking behind me. I quickly turned to see who was there, and there was no one. I began to share these experiences with my husband, but he just blew me off. That is, until now. Nighttime. The front door opened so hard that it slammed into the wall. My husband screamed, something is chasing us. Let me start from the beginning, about 30 minutes earlier. When walking our old English sheepdog, my husband was in the habit of taking a shortcut through the cemetery in order to get to the field on the other side. Although most nights he set out just before dusk, on this particular one, he'd gotten a light start. Now realizing that it would be dark before he got back, he'd forgotten to bring his flashlight with him. 
As he and Doggy were strolling through the, the dark graveyard on their way back home, they heard a scraping sound pierce the air fewer than 20 feet away. Upon hearing it, his immediate and exclusive thought as he later confided to me was, what the hell was that? He listened intently, hearing footsteps and other noises getting closer and closer. Quickly deciding that this was no time to play Sherlock Holmes and locate the sound source, he started to walk faster and faster. Unfortunately, so did whoever or whatever was following them. Both parties picked up the pace, shifting to a high gear until they were running so fast that it was a race to see who could get out of the gate of the graveyard first. My husband made it in record time, not stopping until he, for a friend in tow, ran through the front door yelling, something is chasing us. The next words out of his mouth spoken with the utmost conviction were, no more night strolls through the cemetery. He kept his promise. Our list of must-haves for our new home suddenly a lot shorter. We moved out right after our one-year lease was up. Graveyards can be haunted to the point where they are too spooky for words, and we vowed that we would never live next to one again, a vow that we've never broken. And this next part of the story is Karen's experience of the graveyard. When I heard that my sister had moved next to a graveyard, I just couldn't believe it. Yet, here we are, my mom and I spending the week here visiting. I am seated at the kitchen counter with a full view of the family room, and I'm just hanging out there having a soda and a warm family-style chat. And then I see it. My first demon that actually looks like a demon. It enters the kitchen through the sliding glass door from the direction of the graveyard, walking across the room and disappearing, but not before stopping right in front of me and staring at me long and hard like it knew I was watching. This particular demon was black, blacker than black, Blacker than the darkest night, with a body that was thin and extremely bony and eyes a whitish gray, it was walking briskly but erratically as if it had bad knees or something. The minute I saw it, a feeling of dread came over and a feeling that ran so deep that it spared neither body nor soul. Shocking as it was, the biggest surprise of all, perhaps, was that no one else saw it. I'm looking at the faces of my family members and no one is reacting to this but me. I guess that was for my eyes only. Typical demon experience because now I'm the crazy one, right? Well, are you guys ready for story number three? Mm, I am. I am very much so. So this is going to be chapter two, but let's go back in time. Pam Mandel, 1959 to 1969. But let's go back in time. My dad woke up with the feeling someone was watching him. It was me standing beside his bed, staring intently at him. What is it, Pam? Dad asked. Popeye is in my room, I said. This was not the first time we'd had this conversation. By now, we both knew the drill. Dad would get up, take my hand, and walk me down the hallway to my bedroom. He would look under the bed, in the closet, and then he would look in the little corner behind the bedroom door, anywhere anyone could hide. He knew the drill because he'd been doing this since I was three years old. My dad would say, there's no one in the room, Pam. Go back to bed. I would crawl back into my bed and he would tuck me back in, followed by a kiss on the cheek. We had done this so many times before. Lying there quietly, I would hear the sound of his footsteps going down the hall back into his bedroom. Now I was alone in the dark. An hour later, dad would wake up to find me standing by his bed again. What's up? He would say. Popeye is back, I would reply. And the look he would give me was full of love and understanding. 
He would pick me up and snuggle me into the warmth of his bed right between him and mom. My dad worked hard, and these continued midnight visits by his four-year-old daughter were taking a toll on us both. The ghost that would come into my room at night, most often in those early years, was some spirit I referred to as Popeye. He was an older man, probably in his 70s, always wearing the same outfit. It was one of those stiff white t-shirts from the 50s. His arm muscles were huge, and he had short black and gray beard. Popeye would always come out of the closet, stand next to my bed, and just stare at me. He never spoke. I called him Popeye because he reminded me of the sailor from the old cartoon. I wasn't afraid of him, but it was uncomfortable having a stranger in my room night after night. Once I was sitting in front of the television watching the cartoon Popeye, I excitedly pointed to him and looked at my grandma. I know him, I said to her. He comes into my room every night. Grandma just smiled at me. On other occasions, two middle-aged female ghosts would come into my room. They were close in age and actually reminded me of sisters. They loved to stand at the foot of my bed, excitedly talking to each other while staring at me, wildly gesturing at each other with their arms. They spoke so fast that I could never really understand what they were saying. I sensed that they were not there to harm me, so I was not afraid. Finally, when I was six years old, we moved to a brand new house in Fremont, California. I was excited since I felt we were moving far away from all my nighttime visitors. After being in our new house for only a short time, though, things began to start anew. Our parents had no idea what was going on in their houses, but I soon realized that my little sister Karen knew. Sometimes she could see them, too. At night, Karen would be lying in bed ready for sleep when suddenly she would see passing spirits in the hallway walking towards my room. She would quickly hide her face in her pillow, hoping with all her might for them to go away. Occasionally, the spirits would detour into her room, only to stand by her bed, staring intently at her. She was only five and more terrified of them than I was. At times, she was so petrified she would jump up, dashing through the spirits into my room, snuggling into bed next to me. In the morning when I awakened, seeing her next to me, I knew exactly what had occurred. Once, when I was eight or nine, Karen and I were playing outside, when suddenly I noticed a family standing across the street. What caught my eye was the odd way they were dressed. Do you see them? I asked. Karen looked in the direction I was pointing with her eyes wide open. Who? The funny dressed family across the street. Karen shook her head no. What do they look like? It was a family of four. They were all just standing there fixated on us. The father wore a dark, floppy rim hat, and the mother wore a blue and white bonnet with a big bow tied under her chin. The two children, a girl and a boy, were our age. The girl's brown hair was in braids, and the boy had on black suspenders. And as I look at them, they faded away right before my eyes. It was as if my sister and I were trapped together in a world that no one else knew existed, where we could sometimes see and feel the beings that no one else could see but were all around us, everywhere, even when we could not see them. Frequently, we could feel that they were there through a chill. We were most aware of the stillness and quiet of the night. We didn't realize it at the time, but we had a gift that had been in our family for generations. It wasn't until years later that we realized that not everybody was able to see supernatural beings. Eventually, our mom started catching on to the fact that there was something up with her two girls. In our early childhood, our family went to a neighborhood church. Back then, you simply went to church because it was a social thing to do. 
Like a lot of families, our mom was raised Christian, but our dad came from a Jewish background. Despite the difference in religions, we always celebrated Christmas in a huge way. When I was seven years old, our maternal grandparents came over to our house to celebrate the holiday with us. This was always a very special time for Karen and me. The night of Christmas Eve, we followed our tradition of setting out cookies and milk for Santa. The night was even more special because Karen and I got to sleep on the pull-out bed in the family room, right next to the cookies and milk, hoping to get a glimpse of Santa. Suddenly, in the wee hours of the morning, I awoke. I had this creepy, strange feeling that I was being watched. Rubbing the sleep away from my eyes, I sat up and looked around the room. Without warning, I saw a figure standing against the fireplace with a cookie in hand. Yes, it was one of those cookies from the plate we put out for Santa. Focusing on me was a short man wearing a white shirt, dark pants with black suspenders. He had a white face with a darker beard and matching messy hair. I stared back at him, and then I started to get excited. Santa! It's Santa! I woke my sister and started pointing at the fireplace in the family room excitedly. Karen, it's Santa! Karen sat up and began to look around the room. Where? Where? Unfortunately, at this point, the man had disappeared, but I was still pumped up with excitement. I ran down the hall, shrieking at the top of my lungs, waking the entire household. Santa's here! Santa's here! It's Santa! Both my parents and grandparents came into the hallway to see what all the enthusiasm and eagerness was about. They were annoyed. Why? What are you talking about? My dad said. Santa isn't here yet. Go back to sleep. No, he was here. I just saw him, I insisted adamantly. My mom smiled at me, amused by my exuberance. I started getting frustrated, wondering why none of the adults believed me. Santa was here, I kept insisting. He was a short man with suspenders and a black beard. At that point, my dad was irritated. Santa has a white beard, he said simply. Go back to sleep. I replied, Santa must have been too busy, so he sent his helper. My mom tucked my sister and me back in bed, but I kept insisting that I had seen Santa or his helper. Over the next few days, my mom stopped smiling. She knew I hadn't seen Santa. At the same time, she knew I had seen something. At ages where most children start outgrowing Santa, I believed in him because of what I had witnessed that night. It took 10 years for my mom to tell me that I had actually seen was a ghost. When I described him in detail again for her for the umpteenth time, she brought out a picture that was in storage of her great uncle from the Civil War era. I was shocked when I saw it. I knew that this was the man I saw on the infamous Christmas Eve so many years ago. My mom then said, it is strange how family checks in on us through the years. Family we don't even know or who we are unaware of in the present. We had a pretty normal childhood with just the two of us, always together, always getting to some mischief. However, my sister would tell me there was something unique about me. It took her a while to figure it out, but she finally said to me, you can see dead people. Yes, it really did come down to just that. Can you even begin to imagine the effect that had on two small children? At times we thought they were monsters coming to get us. When you're waiting for something to come into your house, your senses are heightened. No sound is insignificant. No shadow is friendly. The sound of our own breath terrifies you at any age. In hindsight, I now understand the frustrations our parents went through with our stories and always having to check under our beds and inside our closets.
is sure made for an interesting childhood, let me tell you. Gradually, I started sharing with my mom more about my past supernatural experiences. In the past, I had wondered if there was something unique in my family line. My grandmother had a gift, my mom had a gift, and now my sister and I have the gift. Who knows how many generations it went back. To the world, we were just another typical family. My parents were members of the greatest generation, with my dad having served in World War II. They met when they were just kids in San Francisco, living next door to each other. Our dad had always grown up with his feet planted in reality, which is probably why he found it so difficult to believe in the incredible stories of his daughters. But it wasn't so easy for dad to dismiss the stories of our mom. Like I said before, our gifts are hereditary. Actually, it even took a long time for our mom to come to terms with her own awareness of her gift. It was one thing for mom to dismiss our crazy stories, but it was quite another for her to miss her own. When we were young, my mom told us that they went on a mommy-daddy weekend to Reno. Mom was spending time in the hotel room while dad was downstairs at the gambling tables. When my mom sat on the bed, she felt someone sit down right next to her. Looking down, she saw the indentations of buttocks and simultaneously felt the presence of evil. Mom was terrified. She immediately dropped to her knees to pray, asking God to take care of whatever was in the room with her. Slowly, she felt the evil dissipate and eventually joined our dad. When my mom used her gift, it would pinpoint negative energy. In the early 70s, as a family, we went to check out this huge Victorian home in Petaluma, California. My parents thought that this was going to be a home that they had always dreamed of owning. The house was over 150 years old at the time, with huge ceilings and gingerbread everywhere. Excitedly, my mom walked into the home, admiring it, but she walked up to the third floor and she abruptly stopped on the stairs. She felt something was really wrong. Mom said, nope, we have to go, and turned around and walked back down the stairs and out the front door. It was a four-hour round-trip drive to Petaluma, and Dad was furious that we'd gone all that way and we never even saw the entire house. Outwardly, it was a perfect home for them, what they had been dreaming of for many years. However, Mom would not change her mind. We got in the car, and it was dead silent. Finally, Mom said to us that she had felt something scary evil in the house. Dad listened, but being a no-nonsense man of the 60s, he wasn't buying it. Of course, Karen and I did. The moment I walked into the house, I absolutely hated it. The feeling of dread was overwhelming. My room would have been on the third floor where my mom had felt the evil presence. Lucky me. A year later, my parents tried once again to buy their dream home. At the time, I was 13 and Karen was 11 years old. It was a beautiful house on Bethel Island located in the California Delta. We were all fishermen, and we loved that the house had a private dock where we could berth our boat. The views of the Delta were outstanding. Like the first house, the Victorian, this one was huge and picturesque. The house had a substantial wine cellar in the basement, where we were all headed in that direction to investigate. My dad went down the stairs first, followed by my mom. Suddenly, she felt two strong hands in the middle of her back push her down the stairs. Mom fell three or four steps before she caught herself on the handrail. Immediately, we all glanced behind her and saw nothing. At the end of our home tour, we sat down at the kitchen table with the homeowners and realtor. In advance of negotiations, the homeowners served us refreshments, which consisted of ice-cold glasses of water. At this point, Mom's nerves were already on edge. Abruptly, the glass of water in front of my mom slid across the table. 
No one said a word until mom said, what the hell is going on around here? The homeowners looked at each other and said, we have a male Asian ghost who lives with us, but he's very friendly. Mom said, BS, (laughs) we're leaving now. Even though dad had not seen mom forcefully push down the stairs, he definitely saw the glass of water fly across the kitchen table. We left ignoring the homeowners that the ghost was really, truly friendly and drove off never to return. Over the years, our gifts have evolved. My main gift is I see dead people and on occasion feel the energies from the other side. My sister's main gift is feeling the energies from the other side and occasionally seeing dead people. We laugh because my sister seems to see dead people more often when she's with me. Karen literally sees them hovering around me. Our individual gifts complement each other. Even though they are, there are almost 600 miles between us, at least once a week, we are able to connect to each other's feelings and thoughts. The gifts act as a bridge between us. The following stories reflect the hauntings of two sisters' tales from adulthood through our early 60s. These are the stories that we have chosen to highlight with our what-the-hell moments. Some are funny, some are sad, but they all had a lasting imp- impact on our lives. To this day, we still laugh and cry over them. The end. The end. But not really, because we have another story. Our last and final story from The Hauntings of Two Sisters is going to be... Chapter 10, Touched by Our Angels. This is both Pam and Karen. And yeah, let's get started. So buckle in. I know you guys are sad that this is the last one we're going to read for tonight, but it gives you a little bit of a taste. So you're definitely going to want to go get this book. It'll be worth it, I promise. Yes. And we will post where you can get the book in the description on Anchor, on Patreon, and on our Facebook And you definitely can tell them we sent you and, you know, just be like, hi, Taylor and Cassie say hello. (laughs) Okay, Pam's story, 1980. When I was in my early 20s, I bought a new all white inside and out 1979 VW convertible. Boy, was it super cute and so girly looking. I just loved driving it around town with the top down, letting my long hair just blow in the wind. One afternoon, not too long after I bought it, I was driving down the freeway, taking off the ramp to make a left onto the main road. When I started to make my left, I noticed a huge semi-truck traveling down the road so fast that it was going to come barreling through the light right towards me as I was making a left turn. There was not enough time to think, much less react to what was about to happen. I just knew this was it. I was going to die. As the truck came rushing straight at me, I screamed, Jesus, help me! The next moment I remember was sitting in my car in a parking lot right next to the road. I could not believe it. What had just happened? My vehicle was properly positioned, perfectly spaced evenly in a valid parking space with the engine turned off. I had no idea how or what had just happened, not to mention why. I just sat there and began to cry and cry with tears and makeup just running down my face. At that moment, it's really hard to express, but the feeling of God taking the time to send his divine intervention for me to save my life totally overwhelmed me and it took my belief in God to a whole new level. There was no one out there who could convince me that God didn't exist or that I was ever alone. It helped me to realize that as much as almost unbearable degree of torment can exist in a supernatural dimension, there's also the protective love that God shows his children. If they had traffic cameras back then and it had captured footage of the collision, I wonder what it would have recorded. 
did the person driving that truck have a similar experience? These are question, questions that I never know the answers to until I pass to the other side. Karen's story. First angel, 1981. I was 23 years old the first time I saw an angel. I woke up suddenly and glanced at the clock on my night table. The digital display read 2.12 a.m. It turned out that I had acquired a bedmate while I was asleep. A supernatural being enveloped in an aura of golden light was at the foot of my bed holding my dog in its arms. I immediately felt such overwhelming feelings of love, compassion, and everything that was good in this universe radiating itself out of this wonderful creature. I'll try my best to describe this extraordinary being that was neither male nor female, the first thing that I noticed. It was very tall and wore a long, light blue shift covered by a thick, white, flowing robe, secured at the waist with a white belt. Longish face was graced with an aquiline nose and golden hair that flowed past its shoulders and was parted down the middle, and its piercing blue-gold eyes alternated their glance between the dog it held so lovingly and me. Undefinable by gender, this heavenly being was a font of love, peace, and goodness. I stared at this majestic creation for a long time, happily soaking up the love, peace, and goodness that flowed from its core. Then, as suddenly as it had introduced itself into my life, it disappeared, letting my dog get back to its snoring. To this day, I have no idea why God allowed me to see this, but I do know that over the years, I have relived this experience again and again when I needed to reactivate my faith in the internal. Second Angel, 1983. The second time I saw an angel was a few years later. I was driving through Sunol Canyon at 6 o'clock in the morning during a rainstorm. I was in my sports car and driving way too fast and crazy for the prevailing road and weather conditions. That's when my vehicle spun out of control on a dangerous curve with a mountain on one side and a cliff on the other. When the car bounced off the mountainside and started toward the cliff, I screamed out one word at the top of my lungs, Jesus. And then it was there. Again, I recognized that supernatural golden glow immediately and just sat behind the wheel with eyes closed while the angel picked up my car and put it back on the right side of the road, perfectly still and pointed in the right direction. I sat in the motionless vehicle, alive and unscathed, and as a feeling that was equal parts gratitude and bliss made its way from my head to toes and back again, I was eventually left with the cold and sober realization that I had been supernaturally saved from certain death. Was it the same angel I had seen before? Thank you, Jesus. Third angel, 1996. My third angelic encounter took place when I was 38 years old and revolved around the presence of what I can only describe as an angel in my house in San Jose. At the time, I had a parrot named Sophia that loved to talk to anyone. When not entertaining visitors with hello or I love you, she often regaled them with whistles passages from the score of Phantom of the Opera. At night, I would cover her cage, which was located in the family room on the first floor of the house, with a huge yellow blanket so she could sleep peacefully. Late at night, when the uninvited spiritual activity in my bedroom started to become overwhelming, I would often hear Sophia talking downstairs. Hearing her say, hello, over and over again clued me to the fact that someone was near her cage. Peering over the balcony to see what was going on downstairs, all I could make out was that unmistakable supernatural gold glow emanating from Sophie's cage and filling the entire ground floor of the house. And just like they had on those other occasions on which I had encountered that angelic presence, waves of love and peace came rushing over me. 
I asked myself on those many nights when the divine protection was there for my husband, my kids, my animals, and myself, was it the same angel? Fourth angel, 2016. My sister was having her vacation house spiritually cleansed by a medium. At the time, we were trying to pass the former owner of the pro- of the property who had passed away in the house onto the next level of being. Pam and I had spent hours at prayer before the cleansing. Shortly after her arrival on the day of the ritual, the medium and Pam were going over some details in the kitchen when I decided to go on the deck to get some fresh air. What I saw was amazing. So amazing that just thinking about it while I'm putting it down on paper gives me chills all over my body. Right there in front of me, standing in a row and making eye contact with me, were 12 angels linked together, bathed in the exquisite golden light. I was filled with awe before this indescribable, beautiful scene. Once again, that supernatural peace came over me, and I just knew that they had been sent there to aid and support us. I closed my eyes, took a deep breath, slowly exhaled, and thought to myself, God is great. The end. Okay, I know that that's supposed to be like a good chapter because of all the angels and all of that. (laughs) But the idea of walking outside and seeing 12 of them lined up, I would probably crap myself. Would you? Yeah, that 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 just doesn't sound like a good time to me. Like that tells me something is horribly wrong and I need to get out. <laughs> I got to get out. I have to get out. <laughs> I don't know. It's interesting. Um it's interesting about like the cars though to me too. Because how many times have you ever been on like autopilot when you're driving? Yeah. You know, like I am not even joking. There's times where I'm like pulling up to Tucker school and I'm like when how did I what where was I at this last 10 minutes of driving I don't understand I remember my mom telling me a story about when she was super young uh, a drunk at the time and it was really late and she obviously was way past like she should not have been driving (laughs) and uh she was speeding down the road and her lost control of her car and it crashed into a tree it hit it so hard that the engine was in the front seats and the the hood had wrapped all the way around the tree like it was touching itself on the other side of the tree she should have died that night yeah but she woke up on the other side of the road see that's just i'm telling you it's crazy it is crazy. I have chills. Ooh, yeah. I got chills going down my legs. Ooh. Every time she told me that story, I was like, wow. <laughs> Man, it's it's insane. It is very much insane because I just, I, it, it's like I want to explain it. Like I want to know the scientific background of that. Like what is it? But I guess we'll just never know. So I know I told you guys that you can get this book. from the description and you'll be able to find where you can get it but if you are mostly on amazon like i am you can find it the haunting of two sisters shocking true life experiences in for kindle and paperback it's six dollars and 56 cents or they have the audiobook for 1308 so definitely check that out definitely definitely check it out guys you will love it and it's so good to support 
um, up and coming authors, um, you know, your local authors. I'm just a huge, huge advocate for that. And it's, it, there's something about being able to get to know your authors. I feel like, um, that just really connect you to a book. Um, so just, you know, get to, get, get, get to knowing people. Let's do it. <laughs> Thank you guys so much for joining us on this crazy ride. You can find us on Instagram at going past the veil, Twitter at past veil, Patreon at patreon.com forward slash going past the veil with Taylor and Cassie, where you can support us on Patreon starting at $3 a month with early access to episodes and bonus episodes. You can check out our website at going past the veil with Taylor and Cassie.weebly.com where you can get a quick link to our Patreon and Teespring March page. We hope to see you next time and we hope you keep listening. Travel safe. Everything was working at the start I still remember dancing